0: Dr. Dale on quail, bringing you the latest news and views about all things quail in Texas. Brought to you by the Rolling Plains Quail Research Foundation, preserving the wild quail hunting heritage of Texas for this and future generations. Major support for this podcast, comes from Gordian Sons Outfitters. Well hello everybody and welcome to this month's edition of Dr. Dale on Quail. I'm Gary Joyner with the Texas Farm Bureau. It's always a great time to talk quail, particularly with our guest, uh, the man of the hour, Dr. Dale Rollins. Hello, Dale. Good morning, Gary. How are you doing? It's been about a year, I guess, since we undertook this venture. It's been a great series of podcasts and I think today's program will be of great interest to everyone interested in quail, interested in young people. Uh, we're going to talk about some things that are kind of related to quail.
1: That's right. Uh, in the quail business, we got to raise chicks at least every other year. We're going to be on the quail business pretty quick and that's going to have some relevance to what we're talking about today. In basically asking the question that George Jones sang about who's going to fill their shoes. What's happened to quail hunters in Texas and some of the things that uh, that I've been involved with and you've been involved with That's uh, Right. our youth program called the Texas Brigades and the flagship therein being the Bob White Brigade which we started 28 years ago.
0: Tell me about the uh, the beginning, the vision, uh, the reason that this program even took hold.
1: Well as I get older and I'm sure you feel you've experienced the same things there are things that are ha- that things that happen earlier in your life. You didn't think much about them at the time and then they begin to seem to have a meaning. And you say, well now, was that just serendipity? Was that just a chance, a fortuitous event, or was that destiny? And you find yourself kind of like Forrest Gump, you know, what's my destiny, mama? And is the white feather just floating on the breeze, or, or, or do we have a destiny? Well, again, I'm from Hollis, Oklahoma, a little old small town. And in the, in the post office there on the north wall of the post office there's a mural painted on the on the wall there and I'm gonna to try to create a vivid mental picture for you listeners I feature a Conestoga wagon and there's two cowboys one of them's kneeling down on the ground with a stick in his hand he's drawing something in the dirt and the other one's listening intently and the name of the painting is Planning the root hmm. in other words we got to have some idea of where we're going they say that if you don't know where you're going any road will get you there and that's as true in quail management as it is in life. And so when I think back and I reflect back on that on that photo, on I mean, that painting, uh, it always, again, makes me think of other events that happened in my life. So my life with Texas A&M, my career it, uh, spanned over 32 years. And I was a general practitioner. I did everything from deer management to predator management to Helping 4-H kids and that kind of thing and gave a lot of programs to various civic clubs And so one day I'm given the the program that I developed called the calls of the wild which I imitate various bird calls and animal sounds and I had just given that to the Lions Club in one of the Lions Clubs in San Angelo for lunch, and then I had to drive to Childress, Texas That's about 230 miles okay. to give a program that evening for 4-H leaders As I left that meeting and I started driving as again, that's about a four-hour drive Somewhere between Aspermont and Guthrie, along a very lonely stretch of Highway 83, in a Forrest Gump moment, here comes this phrase into me that said Bob White Brigade. I didn't know what it meant, but as I began to ruminate on that and think, you know, most of the programs that I was giving at the time didn't require a PhD in wildlife management. They were awareness level conservation programs. And so I thought, there's no need. I was on the road all the time. Covered a lot of miles in my career. And a lot of those programs could have been given by trained volunteers. And so why not capture the energy of youth and train them in some basic conservation awareness kind of programs and then christen them and say, y'all go forth and multiply and spread the the gospel. And so that's basically, uh, what was coming into my mind when I got back from Childress I called my boss Don Steinbach you remember Don and four or five other people that I thought would be important in making this work and we got together in January I'd fleshed out kind of an agenda they looked at it and they said we think this will work and so we uh, held the first one in um, June of 1993 we'll be holding our 28th one Come June of this year, and so in this podcast, I just want to talk a little bit about the form and function of the Bob Brigade, and hopefully uh, raise the antenna of people that are out there say, "Hey, my son, grandson, granddaughter
0: would really enjoy that." You talked about the route, uh, the route for quail hunters in Texas. There are some speed bumps on that route right now. You've seen some declining numbers, which lends to the importance of the brigade program.
1: I wouldn't call them speed bumps. I'd call them chasms. We've got some real serious problems in terms of our retention of quail hunters. Uh, When I was, well, let's say probably during the early 70s, according to Texas Parks and Wildlife data, we would have had somewhere in the neighborhood of a quarter million to 300,000 quail hunters in the state of Texas. Last couple of years, 25 to 45,000. Wow. So as the quail numbers have gone, so have gone the quail hunters. And again, it brings up the ballot of George Jones and who's gonna fill their shoes because if we don't have an active quail hunting community, then priorities of our state game agencies tend to shift. They're they're not interested in, in quail as much as they used to be, but they don't always dance with the girl that brought them kind of thing. And so, and that's not just in Texas, that's throughout the Bob White's range. And so we see other critters, becoming more and more politically important quail becoming less important fewer quail hunters means less of a political stroke you're familiar with with how that operates and so it's important that we try to recruit and retain new quail hunters and uh, again there's just not many opportunities so we're thinking of a novel way to introduce kids to the sport and to the importance of our sport quail hunting as a tool in conservation of our natural resources.
0: A program that has a long history in Texas that people know well, even really began in Texas, 4-H. There are some similarities between the Brigade's uh, form and function and 4-H?
1: I think there is. Uh, again, if you, everybody's heard of 4-H. Probably, if you're a country kid, you were in 4-H uh, in junior high or high school. Uh, but the history of 4-H is really interesting, and I want to spend just a second reflecting back on that. It started in Jack County, Texas in 1914, I believe, and the initial concepts were called corn clubs. Hmm. Seems that the uh, county agents and other professionals were having a hard time bringing the farmers to the table. Farmers can be a pretty hard-headed bunch at times. You know, old, crusty farmers had their own way of doing things and didn't want to really think about change that much, so the The extension program uh, through Texas A&M University said maybe there's another way and maybe we can teach the kids and then the kids can help teach the adults and again if you've got kids you know that you've been involved with them in some things that uh, probably you weren't that familiar with and as they become educated in that well then it spilled over to the uh, adults as well so yeah the, the whole idea of getting kids involved and teaching them again conservation 101 kinds of programs and then hopefully having them give presentations even with their own family members and so forth and help help them think about what they do before they do it sometimes I don't remember if we've talked about Hippocratic management but we will one of these days first do no harm and so if we can just have those kids say well, dad or grandpa why are you wanting to do that you know you could think about doing this and it might bring back the whistle of bob white kinds of things
0: think about since 1993 dr rollins uh, have you moved the needle do you see those ambassadors for quail do you see those brigade graduates uh, stepping forward and filling in some of the vacuum that's been in the quail community maybe in recent years
1: well i like to think we have uh I run across these graduates of the brigades in a lot of different places. I was at the Dallas Safari Club a couple of weeks ago. Here comes two or three of them. I didn't recognize them. You know, they're 20 years older or so forth. I can't call their name. I give them all nicknames. And so I tell them at the camp, I said, now when you see me 10 years from now, I won't remember your real name, but I might remember your nickname. And so I can generally remember their nicknames. But going back to your question, it was never our intent to train biologists, train game wardens. I mean, every country kid growing up dreamed of being a game That's warden. true. And and we get some of those. Uh, and, and we like to take credit that we had a part in, in that decision for their career. But our target goal is more of the suburban kids and some urban kids and the ones that are going to be doing more than just checking, you know, checking hunters licenses in the field and and doing deer counts Mm -hmm. kinds of things we want those that aspire to be community leaders everything from uh, from the president of the lions club uh, to the uh, county mayor or ideally and and you're going to hear me shout i'm 300 miles from you but you're going to hear me scream one of these days when I found out that one of our Bob Gate alumni is now a federal judge, because those are the kinds of people that make sweeping uh, management decisions for natural resources, water rights, all these kind of things, and I'd like to think that they had some grounding in conservation, and I'd be very proud to know that they got that grounding. through through their experience at Bob White Brigade or or other camps.
0: Great opportunities even at the state legislature and even folks that seek elective office, school boards, uh, county commissioners, those people that are making some of the policy choices at the local level, if they've got your background in brigades then those decisions are even more informed.
1: That's right Uh, and I want to share with you uh, our local state representative out at San Angelo, uh, Drew Darby, who's um, in the House of Representatives at Texas, and he, we, one of the exercises we do at Bob White Brigade is called Quail Politics, because regardless, again, of what the career choice that these people follow, there's gonna be some politics involved, and we gotta have informed and confident speakers that can get up and, and plead their, their argument. So I asked uh, Representative Darby if he would come over and serve, if he would chair this this uh, little exercise we do on quail politics because there's six different stakeholder groups involved, everything from a group called Lot uh, Livestock Owners of Texas, well that would be the cattle raisers, and PETA, we call it quail, quit underwriting, all inhumane leisures. So we've got the gamut of various stakeholder perspectives. And so uh, Representative Darby did come over and he showed up and he presided over this little uh, session. and to this day, that's been three years ago, and to this day when I see him, he's a quail hunter and I'm proud of that, he'll say, where did you find those kids? And it's one in particular just knocked him off his feet. Young lady, I'll just call her New Deal, she's up by Lubbock. And a very demure young lady, she was about 14 at the time, and she was representing the livestock owners of Texas. And she gave a presentation that just knocked representative darby socks off and the other kids did too and so uh, it's always refreshing from our standpoint to realize that someone of of, of his stature uh, representative darby's stature and his his role as a politician in our state government is impressed by the training that these young people are receiving so we like to hang our hat on that one for sure
0: and i suspect some of your cadets don't arrive with that level of confidence oh, with yeah. that level of assuredness that they can speak in a mock legislative hearing deliver a point be persuasive be influential but after a week of time at the camp maybe they blossom into that
1: well it's again that's what's especially rewarding i mean i often liken it to raising a bird dog puppy Uh, you look at that puppy and that puppy begins to warm up to you and you to it and and then you take it out and it It maybe makes, you know, it's going to make some mistakes, but then through some repetition and some training and so forth, then you stand back and you just say, wow, ain't that something? And you've been there at the brigades camps and helped teach the communication skills and so forth. Most of these kids, and we always reiterate that everybody has butterflies. Our goal is to make the butterflies fly in formation. And as a professional speaker, like I've been for 32 years, I used to get the nervous stomach and had to find the men's room all the time. And uh, only through confidence and training and the the realization that, hey, I can do this and you can do it too. And here are a few tips. And so uh, the public speaking and the confidence is a big, big part of what we do because we want them to be uh, empowered to be good spokespersons for conservation.
0: And there are some programs out there that help in that line that you've adapted and assimilated in brigades, uh, things like Toastmasters.
1: That's right. Uh, I became a Toastmaster in 1983. And at that time, I was just graduating with my PhD from Texas Tech, and I knew that I'd already taken a job as an extension range management specialist for Oklahoma State University. And I knew I was going to be giving presentations the rest of my life, and I said, I still got a sick stomach if I had to stand up and speak before somebody. And so Dr. Fred Guthrie, whose name is always mentioned in quail management, Dr. Guthrie in, invited me to a Toastmasters club at Lubbock, and I immediately saw the application of it. When I moved to Oklahoma State, uh, about uh, two years later, they formed a new Toastmasters club, and I became a part of that, and it's it's helped me tremendously. I'm a, I'm a great advocate for Toastmasters, encourage encourage people to become a part of that or at least check it out. But only, I only really push on them to go to Toastmasters if their job requires communication. That's everybody. <laughs> and so it, uh, their goal is to improve uh, speaking, listening and thinking skills. Sometimes the, the listening skills didn't didn't come across on me too bad, I, too good, I still got uh, poor issues with memory but uh, the confidence that it gives, and my writing, I do a lot of writing. And I found that writing, or going to Toastmasters has helped my conversational English as far as my writing skills as well. So, yeah, I'm a big advocate there. And then I harken back to uh, when I was a sophomore and junior at Hollis High School, and I took FFA, Mm -hmm. Future Farmers of America Ag. And in our classroom, and our, our teacher was a behemoth of a man by the name of Grady Bird. We called him Grade A-bird. He's, he's about Ricky Lennox's size, about six foot six and weighed maybe 280 pounds, gentle giant. And all around his classroom were these little cheesy sayings. American ends and I can, not I ran. When the going gets tough, the tough get going. So again, I didn't know at the time, I can repeat most of those today, 40 something, 50 years later. But uh, they become a part we call those silver bullets. And those inspirational quotations from everybody from Eleanor Roosevelt to Will Rogers have a home at the brigades. So you as a cadet, the first thing you do is you're assigned a silver bullet. You have to stand up and recite that silver bullet, tell what it means to you, and then end it with a war cry, Ah, just as loud as you can. And you might think, well, that's... What does that have to do with communication? Well, it has a lot to do with communication. And if you can get somebody to stand up and give a war cry, you can get them to, number one, increase their volume and not speak timidly, and then also just give them the confidence that this may sound silly, but it's helped me be a better speaker. I'm learning to speak from the diaphragm.
0: The word brigade, I find that interesting. Uh, And it's not by chance. Uh, The word brigade really represents... Um, some of the tone and some of the tenor of these week-long camps because there is a little bit of a military application there, right? That's
1: right, right. and I'm not a veteran. Uh, Always a fan of our uh, armed forces. Probably watched every war movie there ever was. Uh, And I love, uh, I just always love cadences. And so we do marching. The the kids will be out there marching at 6.15 in the morning. You think, what does that have to do with communication skills? Well, it does several things. If they're calling cadences, number one, they have to speak from the diaphragm. One of the biggest issues that we have with public speaking, and especially if you don't have a good PA system, which oftentimes you don't, you got to learn to be able to project your voice. And so it does that. It teaches team building. Everybody's got to be in the right step, the, uh, so the, and we do conservation cadences. So we have to we give them three cadences that they have to memorize and then they have to make up a fourth one based on their experience at the camp with some certain rules. It has to be clean enough that if their grandmother is going to be on graduation out they won't embarrass her by saying that. But we have little cadences again that most of which I've written over the years uh, Texas ranchers, they've got class Bob White quail nest in bunch grass. Cattle grazing is okay if it's done the proper way. Sound off Bob White. Sound off Bob White. Bob White brigade. Bob White brigade. And so we, uh, like I said, it's the, the whole, it's a, it's a Bob White boot camp. And it, when you look at our schedule, you think it's done with a, uh, Uzi machine gun in mind because it's a rapid fire. Uh, We work these kids anywhere between 15 and 18 hours a day for five days. I tell people uh, volunteers that come to serve in the role of cubby leaders which would be like a first lieutenant. I said this is gonna be, you're gonna be more tired at the end of this week than anything you've ever done but you will be uh, mentally stimulated and you'll be on a high from that. By being able to see these kids when they come in on day one that can't shake you, shake your hand and look you in the eye to day five when they're giving you a firm handshake and looking you in the eye and making intelligent conversation with you. So that's that's just a uh, it's it's a watershed event and for those of us that do it, that's what turns our crank.
0: And you've had some great press. You've had some media attend. I know you've had articles published and. In major daily newspapers across the state, magazines, uh, prominent uh, wildlife conservation magazines. So the has the picked up on this, and they've kind of characterized it, what they think it is.
1: Right. Uh, I always remember uh, Ray Sasser. Ray passed away a couple of years ago, but he was the outdoor writer for the Dallas Morning News. Probably the most well-read outdoor writer in the state of Texas. Avid quail hunter, so again, I had a great respect in uh, Love for Ray, and Ray came out the year of the third battalion, and uh, he, he wrote, stayed with us about two days, and wrote about it. And uh, when he went back home, he referred to it as the MTV of wildlife science. Now that's MTV's kind of come and gone, but just putting the action and the excitement into into those music videos, or in our case, the the whole curriculum. And so, uh, yeah, I've always been proud to know that Ray approved of it. And that, again, he was a very, uh, a very good outdoor rider and put a spin on it that we can all relate to. I often tell people that there's, um, again, with our pace, you think, well, man, these kids gotta be high on something. <laughs> they are. I say that there's only three recreational drugs that we condone at the Bob White Brigade, and those are Visine, Caffeine, and Adrenaline. And we really focus on the adrenaline because, uh, again, it's a very high-energy camp. Uh, we know over a, it's 100 hours long, and again, we're going to have those kids up and doing something, 82 to 85 hours. So we've learned over the years, these are the low points in the camp. We've got to be ready to bring them up. We'll do that via marching. We'll do, be, do that via cadence calling. We have a Covey song called Hail, o Hail Bob White Brigade. All these things uh, that will stimulate the kids and... I, I gotta reflect back, my wife and I, my wife taught third grade for 23 years in San Angelo in public schools. And we'd take a walk around the block and she would, she would bemoan the public education system as teaching to the test and, and lamenting the fact that the, the, the home life of many of these kids is, is really a tragedy and so forth. And so just kinda getting down you know, on, on the educational system. And I wouldn't say a word. And towards the end of the mile that we walked, she'd say, you haven't said anything. You're just used to teaching those brigades' kids. <laughs> well, again, our kids, many of them are self-motivated, and then we try to use their energy to pollinate the others to where they're motivated as well.
0: Let's talk about some of the tools. I know in my experience I've been blessed to be at your Bob White Brigade camps, maybe three or four occasions. Uh I've seen it, I've experienced it, and what you're asking those young people, both boys and girls, is to step out of their comfort zone, to do something perhaps for the first time in front of their peers with a fear of rejection, a fear of not doing it well enough, but you've got some tools and some techniques that over that period of week, they rise to the occasion, they find a way.
1: Well, and I think the heart of that is competition and competition in a good way and competition is a good thing that can be pushed too far kind of thing but we like to think our competition is is tweaked just right and yeah as far as public speaking is probably one of the greatest things that we focus on and that we revel in when we see these kids graduate because again i'm sure you've heard that uh, most people have a greater fear of having to speak in public than they do of dying and so we teach the kids uh little things like I often use what I call a magic quarter. And I just pull a quarter out of my pocket and I'll say, now you just put this between your thumb and your finger and hold it down at your side, and you just rub the face off old George Washington. They're venting a lot of that nervous energy into that quarter, but it's not uh, distractful to you and I as listeners, because they're doing that in a way that we're not focused. They're not saying, "Uh, ah, you know, like so many of their contemporaries, especially in sports, tend to say during an interview. So we, and again, we've used you to come in and talk about communication skills and sound bites and block answers and all the good things that uh, they may not use over the next couple of years, but they're gonna be in a position 10 years from now, and they're gonna remember that, and uh, they're gonna think. And I get emails like this quite often that say, I'm 32 years old now, graduated from, wherever, and I'm a, I'm a lawyer. Mm-hmm. And I find myself using many of these components that you taught us 20 years ago. And so I'll circulate those kind of notes around, those kind of emails around to our committee. We call those heart medicine. And when we see those kind of things, we, we say our time was well worth it invested in what we helped those kids.
0: I love the team building aspect. You have put individuals who may be type A personalities on their own, used to being the captain of whatever they're doing, now they're on a team and they've got to work together.
1: And, and again, you know, we have one little exercise called ropes and cans and they have to stretch ropes. So there's five of them pulling on these ropes and they got to stack these cans. That type A personality was the leader the first time. When we identify that individual, we blindfold them for the next round. So now they've got to become a the listener. They're vulnerable. They're vulnerable. And we say that to be a good leader, you, sometimes you've got to be a good follower. And so we teach them little tips like that. And again, our, our motto is, tell me and I forget, show me and I remember, involve me and I understand, based on an old Chinese proverb. And so we try to take that hands-on kind of exercise and, and work them through it. And again, it just it tends to work. We, we've been very pleased with the results that we're
0: seeing. In a minute, we'll talk about uh, opportunities for the next Bob White Brigade and the other brigade camps. There are some application deadlines in the near due, near future that folks will want to be aware of. But you've had other states, uh, other entities, model some of their programs after the brigade model, and that's got to be very flattering.
1: It is. Uh, we've had some of them. Uh, Missouri started one for a while, maybe lasted 10 years. Uh, Georgia started one, but it didn't last very long. They said, we just don't have kids like you do. I said, yeah, you do. You don't expect enough of the kids that you have. We hold a very high bar. The, the state that's done the, the best job, if you will, of cloning our success is Pennsylvania. And they started out with a, uh, with a uh, rough grouse camp, and then they went to a deer camp, and then they wound up with a, a black bear uh, camp. And so they've really taken it to the next step. And this is important to us in, in the Rolling Square research foundation because that was our initial introduction into a some philanthropists up in pittsburgh pennsylvania that wound up purchasing and donating the ranch so it's all come full circle but without the bob white brigade what that might not have ever happened
0: let's talk about getting involved Uh, adults who'd like to participate parents of young people who they think their daughter or son might have interest Um, Open the door for us, Dr. Rollins, and tell us kind of about that process and how people can take that next step.
1: Well, I always tell people we're seeking three things from an ascending importance. We seek their money, we seek their time, we seek their kids or their grandkids. Because believe it or not, again, we've got a successful model. We've got seven different camps going uh, Bob White, buckskin, coastal, bass, ranch, uh, waterfowl so we, we cover the gamut and but believe it or not it's still hard to come up with 30 cadets uh, if you kids are so busy this you know these days and they're going to sports camps and so forth and I tell them that you know the odds of him being a professional basketball player are pretty slim uh, almost infinitesimal but the odds of him being in a position where some of the things he learns at a brigade camp are pretty good, and so invest your time wisely. And invest your your kids' time wisely, and I always have adults come up to me at the end of the camp. And again, they see measurable differences in their kids from day one to day five. And they'll come up to me as they're leaving and I say, "Boy, I wish that I had something like this when I was a kid." I said, "We do. You can be a covey leader. You can come in and take those five, fourteen-year-old boys or." 15 and 16 year old girls and mentor them, you go through it just like they do. A lot of times you're walking around like a deer with a uh, deer looking in the headlights kind of thing because it's happening at such a fast pace, but we've addressed that by including a uh, second lieutenant and that's somebody that attended camp last year, one of the kids. They worked hard for the opportunity to come back and serve as an assistant cubby leader, and that's literally the lifeline of that cubby because they know what's going on here, they know when you got to be here and when you got to be there, and this is what we got to do. So they really help mentor both the kids and that
0: adult as well. Where can someone go for more information? I know there's a March 15 deadline fast approaching.
1: That's right, uh, applications to due March 15th. Texas brigades, plural, Texas brigades dot org and uh, it costs five hundred dollars to send a kid we're always needing sponsors so if somebody doesn't want to be a cubby leader but they said i'd like to help old johnny over here go we need we need money like that and again if you want to come out and serve as a cubby leader uh, you can sign up for that it doesn't cost cubby leaders anything unless you count lost sleep you'll get over that. And then we also need volunteers as far as cooks and other things at our various camps. So TexasBrigades.org, you can see the smorgasbords of our camps that we offer, and they're all across the state. And, and Gary, one of the things I, I can't um, underestimate, so many kids wanna do something in the wildlife world. You go to Odessa, Texas, and give them some kind of talk about wildlife, you'll be shocked at how many sophomores wanna be a marine biologist. Well, one of the things that they have the opportunity to do here at these Brigades Camps is network with professionals, and professionals from state game agencies, NRCS, uh, universities, that gives them an opportunity, and again, you can appreciate through your knowledge of politics. It's not always what you know, it's who you know as well. And so by doing that, you can, uh, again, make good references uh, that are going to help you with jobs, or they're going to help you with... uh, school choices or whatever that may be
0: the motto of bob wright brigade to make the best better and dr rollins we appreciate you letting us know the history uh, the form and function and really the uh, the reason why it exists and congratulations on 27 wonderful years the program continues to grow and if you'd like more information uh, please go to the website uh, learn more uh, hopefully uh, find a young person or an adult who's interested in participating uh, it'll be a great experience. If you'd like more information about the Rolling Plains Quail Research Foundation, go to quailresearch.org for those details. We hope you've enjoyed this month's podcast. I'm Gary Joyner with the Texas Farm Bureau saying thank you so much. See you next time. Support from Gordian Sons Outfitters makes Dr. Dale on Quail possible. Gordian Sons, the finest hunting and fly fishing shop to be found. Find out more at GordianSons.com.